Our scripture today is Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Thanks, Chris. And how about the warriors? That was pretty good. It's not sacrilegious to say that, is it? We're focusing on Jesus today. Um, but it's, man, it's a good time to be a fan of the Bay Area. I grew up in, the, in, in, in um, the East Bay over there in Berkeley and was a fan of the Warriors like before all of what's happened in the last few years, and it, it feels good. Um, so we're, we're enjoying it while we have it. Uh, and wasn't the block party fun as well? A great time. Thank you so much for everybody who's out there serving. Thank you so much for everybody who is out there door hanging to get the word out in, in, that, in that way. There's one gal at the uh, block party who was telling us that uh, she, was, she was amazed that we had gone around to each of the, the families, uh, the, the houses, and, and put a, an invitation on each, on each door and said that she had been going through, she's, she's going through a really hard, uh, you know, few months of, of stuff at work, and, and she was so encouraged getting home that day uh, to find a little invitation on her, on her door. She's like, I want to come. And a lot of fun stories, a lot of great opportunities to make connections, uh, meet our neighbors, uh, friends in the community, uh, serve them. Uh, if you're here today and this is your first time because you've, you, you met us out there in the park, um, we want to especially uh, welcome you. We're glad you can be here. We'd love to help you get better connected. If you're interested, there's a connection table out in the back. You can find that. Um, we'd love for you to, to, to join this growing church family of ours, uh, wherever you are at uh, spiritually. Well, Today, we are starting a new summer series. I know it's not technically yet summer, but it essentially feels like summer, okay? Uh, and we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably observed, or you may have heard me say outright from the stage, uh, that one of my goals is to give us a well-rounded biblical diet. So for the last couple of months, uh, you know, for a while now, we've been looking at the New Testament, the part of the Bible that focuses on Jesus' life and ministry and, and afterwards. Um, and now what I want to do over the next several weeks is look at the Old Testament, the part of the Bible, it's very thick, that, that looks at, the, at what leads up to Jesus' life and, and ministry. And as I said, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms uh, specifically. Here's what I'm calling the series, uh, Seasons of the Soul. Seasons of the Soul. Because it seems to me, just like as there are different seasons of the year, there are also different seasons of the soul, aren't there? You know, there's different seasons of, you know, seasons of newness, life, energy, hope, laughter, uh, as there are seasons of uh, dreariness. Maybe they feel seasons that, are, that feel more cold, uh, that, are, that are a bit darker. Well, the book of Psalms is therapeutic for any life season, for all seasons of the soul. I wonder if you've ever noticed, either in a bookstore or in a hotel room, and you've seen one of those Bibles just kind of lying around, if you've ever seen kind of a shortened version of the Bible, often, if it's like, say, just the New Testament or just the four books about Jesus' life specifically, that Bible will still include the book of Psalms. Have you noticed that? You ever, you ever wonder why that might be? It's because for millennia, for centuries and centuries, 
people have looked to the Psalms to help them face whatever life brings at them. Um, life is full of surprises, isn't it? I mean, there's lots of joys as there are sorrows. There's success as there, are, as there, as there is failure. Um, there's also harder feelings to work through, that feelings of ab- abandonment, uh, brokenheartedness, uh, and, any, and any other sorts of things. And the book of Psalms helps us not just face anything that life throws at us, but helps us work through our feelings in the midst of it. Uh, one ancient uh, church, er, early church uh, leader, a guy named Athanasius, if I'm saying that name right, um, says this, whatever your particular need or trouble, from this book of Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. Or a more modern preacher put it this way, Psalms are, like, are not just a matchless primer of teaching, but a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. Seasons of the soul. And where I want to start is, of course, the beginning with Psalm 1, which very much sees itself as the introduction to the, the rest of the book of Psalms. Um, and, and as such, uh, I'm, I'm calling this message a, a psalm for all seasons. Um, what we see here right at the, go, at, the, at the get-go, right out of the gate, is an incredible promise. And I wonder if just reading it today, just listening to it, it being read, uh, we could so easily miss the enormous promise that comes out right away. It's the first word of, of the whole book of the Psalms. Blessed is. Blessed is the one who doesn't do this, this, or this. And we can't look at the whole Psalm. There's too much to talk about. Uh, but blessed is the one who does this. And we'll unpack, uh, unpack what, what that is. Blessed is this person. Now, in English, we use the word blessed for almost, I don't know, we use it for all sorts of things. I don't think half the time we know what we're talking about. Uh, but in the, in the Hebrew, the word blessed was a very rich word that meant total fulfillment. Uh, to be blessed was, it was, to be, it was to have complete well-being. So what is this blessing that the Psalms teach, that the Bible teaches? What is this blessing, and how do we get it? Well, that's going to be the outline of today's message, is we're going to look at uh, the blessing, the, the promise, what is the promise, and how to get it. That is the practice. So let me pray, and then, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful weather. Thank you so much for this beautiful place that you, you allow us to live. Um, sure, it's expensive and has any number of things that can be a challenging to live in this area, but boy, on days like today, this is, this is wonderful. We celebrate it. We don't take it for granted. Thank you. But Father, now as we look at your word, would you give us your spirit? Would you give me your spirit as I teach these things? Would you help me get out of the way? And would you shine through? And would you give us each your spirit as we try to understand what you have for us today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the promise and the practice. So first, the promise. Well, what we see here in this, in this text, in verses 3 and 4, are two metaphors to help us understand what this blessing is. The metaphor of a tree planted uh, by a stream of water, and then the metaphor of chaff. What, what in the world is chaff? What is that doing in here? What, is that, what does that mean uh, for, 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 for understanding this blessing? Chaff, of course, is the outside of a seed, the husk of a seed after the winnowing process, after the threshing. You just have this little skeletal husk that remains. Um, and it's actually very helpful for us to understand what the psalmist is getting at, especially when you start to compare it to the tree. One of the promises we understand here is a promise of stability. Now, when I say the word stability, I'm not talking American dream type stability. That's not the promise here. That, you know, white picket fence, 
you know, two kids and the minivan. I'd like to say two-car garage, but that just isn't going to happen here. One-car garage, Silicon Valley, whatever, whatever you want to say is your American dream equivalent. That is not what I mean by stability. What I mean by stability is this. Look, when, when chaff is hanging out and wind blows, it's gone. Any sort of wind, let alone a gust, and chaff is out of there. A tree, on the other hand, is rooted, and I don't care about the, the wind. It's, it's going to stay there. And, of course, what the psalmist is talking about here is whatever life circumstances come up, the person who is blessed in this way is not going to be shaken. It's not going to be moved. It's not going to be, be controlled or thrown about by life circumstances that are, that are to come. But not only is the tree rooted, the tree is rooted near a stream. I think that's an interesting detail uh, because trees, if, they, if they're just plain rooted, there's no stream nearby, they need water. They need the rain. They need it to come by, and if... if uh, if it doesn't, they can't handle dry seasons. Uh, so if the, better, better, the weather better be good or, or that tree's going to die. But a tree near a stream, it doesn't matter about the heat. It doesn't matter about the hardship of, of weather, the weather that hits it. Uh, it would obviously be great if it rained, um, but it doesn't need it. Circumstances don't matter because the tree has direct access to the water. Listen to how one Christian writer put this, a, a gal named Sheila Walsh. Uh, said this, joy is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God. Joy is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God, which I think is going along the lines of this psalm. It doesn't matter what's in the air, what the weather conditions are, circumstances won't matter. There's a stability to this promise. Uh, second part of this promise, it seems to me we can, we can pull from these metaphors, is there's a promise of growing through fruitless seasons. So not only is there a promise of stability, there's a promise that will grow even though there are barren times that will come. I love verse 3 here. It says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit. No period. In season. It's not just that they're going to yield fruit. It's that there's going to be a season in which they yield fruit. You following me on this? To me, I, I love this, this little thought here connected. Trees do not always have fruit. All trees go through wintertime. Um, all trees go through times of no fruit, barrenness. Um, what could this mean for us? It means seasonal, cyclical fruitlessness is expected. Um, I love how real the Bible is. I don't like being fruitless. Uh, to be fruitless means you're not getting to your goals. It means you might not feel all that useful. To be fruitless means a whole lot of things, all of which aren't very good. But what the Bible say, is saying here is a tree, it, you, the promise is you can be like a tree that though you will be in seasons where you aren't growing fruit, uh, the tree doesn't stop growing. Um, we have this little tree on our townhome patio, okay? There's no soil anywhere near. I don't know why we own a tree. Um, kids and Cindy love the tree. Uh, it's wonderful. I should be more of a fan. I'm bad and supportive. Uh, we did get the fruit when it was sold. We got it from Costco, and it came with the lemons on it. So I was like, okay, we just got those fruit. Um, but what's funny, so it's great. Cindy and the kids are working on it, and they're having a blast. It's good. I'm, I'm, I'm really bad at it. working on my attitude. But anyways, we had this little tree, and the funny thing what happened, we're, we're not really good at growing stuff, uh, let alone like on a patio. Like, we just have a record of just black thumb, okay? We just, everything dies. Um, and so, sure enough, this tree started to, like, turn yellow. And we're like, oh, boy, it's dying. And we literally thought it was dying. 
And uh, we have a friend who's actually a leader in the church. I'm not sure if she's here, she's here today. Landscape architect. She's like, no, no, actually, it's not dying. Don't worry when it's turning yellow. It's actually gearing up for the season when it's going to bear fruit. And we're like, oh, we're, I wasn't sure how, how, how much I bought that because we, we do have a black thumb. But we're like, okay, we'll trust the expert. And sure enough, these little bulbs are coming out. These little tiny little lemons are coming out. And, you know, the kids are enjoying that. Um, that's what trees do during the seasons in which they're not bearing fruit. They, they send down their roots further. They, they, they get thicker. They, 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 they search and gather up water more efficiently. Um, because the fruit always comes back. Doesn't The fruit, it's, it's, it's going to be there. It's going to come back. And often the fruit is, is bigger and better. It's more juicy. Uh, do you, if you were here two weeks ago when we were going through the series... Um, God, where are you at in this? And we're talking about why do, why do hard, hard things happen? Why, why, why is it so hard in life sometimes? I talked about a, a pastor friend slash mentor who's been in ministry for decades. And he was telling us, he, he, was, he was saying to me, he's like, I have yet to meet somebody, a couple, an individual who is not just having an incredible impact in terms of helping others, loving others, just firm in what they're doing, who hasn't also been through some really hard stuff. Who hasn't also who, who been through some tragedies that they've had to work through? And I've been thinking about that. I was like, man, it's hard, but that makes sense. The tree is able to, during the seasons where it's barren, put down the roots further and become stronger because of it. Uh, in other words, what we're seeing here is there's no promise in the Bible that everything's going to go well, uh, that uh, you will always be successful. The promise is, even when you are not, because you, always, you won't always be, even when it's hard, even when things are going, aren't going the way you'd want them to, you will actually be, going, you will actually be growing through it uh, with this promise. So, coming out of the gate, there's the promise. It's a wonderful, enormous process, uh, promise. Blessed is this, this person. They can be like a tree. You want to be a person of stability? Here it is, the psalmist says. You want to be a person who, who can grow even in seasons of of dryness, who can thrive even when it's hard, here it is for, your take, for the taking. So what is the practice? How do we get this promise? Uh, verse 2 shows us. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. There it is. Blessed is the one who meditates on God's word, essentially. Um, what, what the psalmist is saying is God's word, the Bible, has the power to make us like trees planted by water. Now, I think it's helpful to first look at this from, with a kind of like a wide-angle lens approach. Okay? Remember, we are looking at the book of Psalms, and Psalm 1 is the first of many Psalms, and it understands itself as the introduction to the rest of the book of Psalms. So what is the book of Psalms ultimately about so that we can know what it's introducing us to? The book of Psalms ultimately is a book of, about prayer. I wonder if you've ever thought about that, if you've grown up in the church or you've ever read it. I wonder if you've ever thought about it. The, the book of Psalms is essentially a book of prayer, a lot of prayers, an outpouring of the heart. Of, of all these different writers communicating with and com uh, communing with God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, Psalm 103. Uh, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Another psalm. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, there's, it's just the outpouring after outpouring in, in beautiful poetry, often uh, in, in lyrical song. Uh, of, of prayers. The book of Psalms is about prayers. And so therefore, Bible scholars tell us the book of Psalms, uh, excuse me, Psalm 1 is introducing us to what prayer can and should look like. It is introducing us and showing us, teaching us how to pray in such a way where we pray more deeply, but we also tap into the promises we've been talking about. 
You following? Does that make sense? Uh, and there are essentially two different types of prayer, if you think of it this way. There's a calling prayer, and there's an answering prayer. The calling prayer is one that calls out to God, God, help me. You know, God, I need your help in this way or that. A calling prayer sets the tone, sets the subject, sets the agenda. God, hey, this is what I'm coming to you with. This is what, uh, that's, that's a calling prayer. But a much fuller prayer, the one that taps into the blessing that the psalmist is talking, is an answering prayer. I wonder if you've thought of prayer in this way. Blessed is the one, verse 2, who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. An answering prayer is one that lets God and his word set the tone, set the subject, set the agenda, and then responds. Have you thought of prayer that way before? Maybe you're not even a person of prayer. You don't pray all that often. Maybe you just throw one up every once in a while. Have you ever thought about prayer in that way? An answering prayer, one that lets God direct the, the conversation. You know, in a calling prayer, that's how it's, it's, it often mimics how conversations work. You know, between two people, how do conversations start? Somebody has to set the tone and the agenda. Hey, how about the Warriors? Hey, awesome, great, you know, whatever. You get in that conversation. That's how my conversation's going. Um, the other person responding to that initial, hey, how the Warriors go, could change the subject, but, but not without a little bit of effort, right? The, the subject, the tone is set. The answering prayer lets God direct, lets him it's not to say that calling prayer is bad. It's answering prayer. There's, there's, a, there's a deepness. There's a beauty. I have found personally that when my prayers are, and more often than not, they're the calling version of prayer, which is not necessarily all bad. When I come to God with my agenda, when I feel like it, it tends to feel more flat. My prayer life and my life in general feels more two-dimensional experientially is how I felt it. But when I let God direct life, oh my goodness, I start to see it's like roots down collecting the water. Let me give you an example. If you ever read the book of Job, book of Job is actually the book right before the book of Psalms. If you want to leave, you can look at it later. It's a book about suffering. The main character, a guy named Job, just goes through some horrific, just terrible suffering. And the whole book, 30 plus chapters, is him wrestling that through, this horrible suffering that he's he's faced with his friends and with God himself. I remember reading it the first time and thinking, wow, he's very reverent in how he talks to God about his suffering. He's very, like, in awe, and yet he says certain things, like, of the why variety, God, how could you variety? And I'm like, how is that in the Bible? Are you allowed to say that to God? If God's who he is, and we are who we are, is that, is that allowed? And yet you find that that, of course, is why this is in the Bible. God wants us to take the things that are hard, the doubts, the concerns, the pain, and bring it to him. He knows we're feeling it anyways. But the whole point is he wants to meet us in and minister to us through it and mold us because of it. And so now, like when, I've, when I've read the book of Job, say in a season where it's not as hard, you know, you know, springtime season of the soul. Um, you know, this is helpful, but I wrestle it through. But when wintertime comes, boy, if that's there, it's like water to the roots. And then when wintertime comes or the, the heatness of summer or whatever analogy you want to use, season of the soul comes, and Job is still there. And I can read it. And it, it ministers to my heart in a new way. By the way, the rest of the Psalms do that. You know that 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament? 40%. Are psalms of people, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? 40%. Uh, this is in my notes. This is kind of amusing. Uh, just 
no extra, you know, you drop this later if it's not helpful. But I wonder, 40 percent, is like 40 percent, like, about the um, percentage that we face hard things in life? I don't know. But there's, there's, there's a, there's, it's interesting to me that such a big chunk of the Bible is talking about lament and working through hard feelings. God wants us to bring those things to him. And in short, what we see here is let his word, let him speak into our lives. Uh, but we've got to get in the practice of that. Let, let his word uh, speak into us. Uh, you know, get practical about that. That's why reading the Bible is so helpful. You know, and, and, and not just reading the same chapter that you love uh, over and over again, but like, you know, working through, say, the Psalms. And then on a good day, if you're reading a song of lament, like, man, what is this teaching me about God? And maybe where am I lamenting, like back in, you know, deep down in the, in the core that I need to think about? And, and the Lord ministers to us, us there in that way. We need to let God's word speak into our lives. But second thought from the same verse is we need to let the entirety of God's word speak into our lives. Um, that's why in verse 2, the psalmist uses this phrase, uh, delight in the law of the Lord. The one who is blessed delights in the, in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law. There's that phrase again, day and night. Uh, you know, I used to read texts like, like those and wonder, is he talking about the Ten Commandments? Like the law of the Lord, does he want us to like meditate on the Ten Commandments, which would be helpful. Or is he talking about the law that is like, you know, say, you know, Leviticus that has a lot of like, you know, guidelines on how to live life and what to do and what not to do. Um, that's not what anybody thinks he's, he's saying here. Uh, for instance, Jesus himself at one point in, in, a, in a conversation with others, he says, have you not read in the law? And then he quotes scripture. And that scripture he quotes was actually a psalm. He says the law of the Lord actually is a psalm. Um, so the law of the Lord actually means broadly speaking, uh, God's word or the Bible, very practically. So I'll ask the, ask the question, why this interesting phrase? Why the law of the Lord? And anytime, the, the answer is anytime the, 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 the Bible uses the law of the Lord, it's speaking about the scripture in its entirety, on the whole, and as authoritative. Not just picking and choosing here or there, but letting us all speak into our life. Here's another way of putting it. The minute I say, oh, I don't like that part, or, oh, I'll pass on, on that, that little thing over there, is the minute I've created my own God. Is the minute I've created a God who is impotent and God cannot speak into my life. Um, no relationship works that way, does it? I mean, maybe you've been in a really good friendship or, or you know, significant other, spouse, whatever. Uh, there will come a time when, when that person and that relationship will come to you and say, you know, I love you, uh, but... This that you're doing over here, uh, it's, it's, it's not the healthiest. And how do we respond in those? Well, if you're like me, you go through a little, you know, uh, uh, you go through a little season of defensiveness. You know, you kind of deny it a little bit. And then, you know, it's initially not fun to work through it, but in the long term, it ends up being for our good if we allow it to, right? Um, that's what the psalmist is saying here. When we, we have to delight on and meditate on the, the law of the Lord. Let it speak into his life. Because the, the law of the Lord, God's word, is meant for our best. It's meant to shape us, to mold us. One more thought uh, in terms of the practice uh, before, before moving and bringing it together. The psalmist encourages us in verse 2 to do this day and night. I think, I think that's just a way of saying to be disciplined about it. Um, you know, perhaps uh, to do this uh, when we get up in the morning or to do this when we, we go to sleep at night. In fact, the word meditate can actually be translated to, to murmur. It just means to constantly have on our lips, to constantly be thinking through its implications, to constantly be thinking through uh, 
how does this impact, how could this impact uh, our decision-making? Um, one sad rea reality, it seems to me, of, you know, modernity is I feel like the, the practice of mo memorization has been lost. You guys memorize anything these days? I don't feel like we do that. Actually, it's definitely gone. I don't have my cell phone up here. We just do this all day, you know. Um, but one of the beautiful practices that people have, have practiced for forever is memorizing Scripture. Uh, when I was in college, I was the typical dude who was like, man, I'm so busy. I have no time, which is insane. When you're in college, you have so much time. <laughs> so much time. But I was like, I found some time to be in a memorization group. And I was like, I have so much time. Um, but I, I took some time, and it's, it's not as geeky as it sounds, but I got together with a group of guys, a number of athletes, actually, and we just memorized scripture and just hung out and got to know each other better. But it was just a great accountability group to say, hey, did you memorize it? And, you know, because I knew they were going to ask me and I had to practice, all that sort of thing. But I am so glad I did that because it's paid dividends through my life. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night, I'm worried about something in my life, or I'm worried about someone and what you're going through in this congregation in the middle of the night, and uh, you, you, you get the feelings of helplessness. You get the feelings of, like, how is this going to work out? Can it even work out? And I'll tell you, being able to recite or just think about, mull over, meditate on a psalm is incredibly helpful. If you're looking to memorize any, I'll just throw some out. Obviously, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, even if you've never read your Bible, you've heard it. You've watched movies. You've heard Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, yea, though he walks me through the sh valley of shadow of death. You've heard it. Um, Psalm 1 is a good one to memorize. Psalm 8, a lot of the ones actually we're going to be looking at this, <laughs> this series are ones that I've memorized and we're going to be talking about. Psalm 103 is, is really good, one, 139. Um, um, we, are, we are to uh, draw from it. Um, and when we do draw from it, God's word, um, it will be helpful to us. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned that it's been great to, like, on the spot memorize, and it'll give me peace and help me, you know, kind of think through things. Um, but I think the force of what we're seeing here in this text, with, when you see the wording, day and night, a tree planted by streams of water, fruit that's born in, in its season, I think what it's saying is there, there's great payoff, but it's in the long game. We've got we to put down our roots. Indeed, as God wants to use all that to bear fruit, as the, as the Bible shows us, that doesn't just bear fruit in this life, but bears fruit that will never fade um, and, and, and last even into the next life. So there's the promise. There's the blessing, a promise of stability, a promise of growth, whatever the season of the soul, and there's the practice. There's how to get it, a letting God's word, all of it, speak into our lives directly, allowing it to direct us, to mold us, and we can be like trees planted by streams of water, but I want to talk about one more thing, one more thing that I wonder if anybody felt this way when it was read. Verse 2, but, who, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Are there ever times where the law of the Lord or God's Bible doesn't feel so much like a delight? My past self felt like a lot, a lot of times it didn't feel like a delight. I mean, even that phrase in the law of the Lord, how can a law, how can a law be delightful? But if it's, if it's ever been something that's not been delightful for you, or you don't see it as delightful, it's because you don't see it for what it really is. It is exceedingly delightful, God's Word. How can that be? It's all pointing us to the person of Jesus. The Bible, at the end of the day, is filled with tons of promises. It's filled with tons of practices, all of which are very helpful, life-giving, life-changing, can improve 
help us face anything, but ultimately the Bible is about the person of Jesus Christ. John, one of his students, uh, started his account of Jesus this way. In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John says. Jesus is the Word. And then when he was here teaching, if you look at different passages in the middle of John, Luke 24, Jesus was saying and then reiterating, this whole thing, this law, this book is about me, he would say. All of it pointing to who I am and what I am going to do for you. We get to read about what he has done for us. Uh, You know, it's amazing to me. If there was ever a person who was like a tree planted by streams of water, it was Jesus. He was saturated in the scripture. He memorized it clearly. There's no way he taught the way he taught without having memorized the scripture. And by the way, they didn't have little Bibles that they could bring around, let alone smartphones, right? They had the scrolls that only like the, 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 the heavies had, right? Um, he, he had it memorized. He taught scripture. He breathed scripture. He died scripture. If you look at the accounts of him on the cross dying, he was yelling out, crying out, scripture. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what's also in that same psalm, which he obviously had memorized? This is, talking, this is a psalm pointing ahead to the one, the Messiah, the Christ, who had to suffer. And on the moment of the cross, here's what this psalm says. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. What does that sound like to you? That sounds to me like chaff. Here's a way of thinking about the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's a way of, of, of articulating it, considering all the things we've been talking about. Jesus on the cross became chaff so that we could become trees planted by streams of water. Jesus on the cross came to die for our sins, that if we receive him and we put our faith in him, he will have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, bringing us back into a relationship with God. Everlasting life with him. That is the gospel. He became chaff so that we could be trees planted by streams of living water. That's, that's why Jesus at one point says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scriptures teach, from within them will flow rivers of living water. As the scriptures teach, as the law of the Lord, from within them will flow rivers of living water. There's a bunch of wonderful promises in the Bible. We've talked about a few of them. There's a bunch of wonderful practices. we talked about a few of them here. But the Bible is ultimately about the person of Jesus, and because of it, it is all delightful, which means if you're reading the Bible as I do, and I find myself, I find my heart being exposed for what it is in a certain area, perhaps I'm not being as loving to the people around me that I know I ought to be, perhaps I'm not being, my relationship with God isn't anywhere what it ought to be, which is more often the case, always the case. I know that he's not only exposing my heart for my good and helping me through it, it's also showing me how deep his love is for me and bringing me closer to him. So even the things that are hard in reading the Bible, they're actually showing me how much more he loves me, loves you. That's the beauty of the law. That's the beauty of what we're talking about today. It's about a promise. It's about a practice, but it's ultimately about a person. So therefore, what do we do today? We meditate on him. We meditate on who he is and what he's done for us on the cross. If you want stability, you meditate on what Jesus has done for us. If he has done that for us, if he's done everything for us to have a restored relationship with God and cat, 
There's nothing we can't face. There's nothing that we can't also not grow because and through. And through that, God's intention is, is for us to bear fruit. Not for the sake of, of it, like, you know, tree has fruit and it eats the fruit. It's, uh, it's weird analogy. Sorry, that's not in my notes either. Um, the, the point is the tree bears fruit for others to be blessed by. The shade, that is our calling here as a church. Current family, that's our calling is to be streams, is to be trees planted by water. I'll say living waters. Jesus promises that we might bear fruit for the Silicon Valley and beyond that people can come and eat. It's not our fruit. It's the water that God, of God and the fruit that people can enjoy and come and taste and be planted and rooted in him as well. Um, so what does that mean for us today? What, what does that look like for you? What could, it, what could it mean even this week to meditate on God's word? Maybe you want to memorize. Maybe you want to start that. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, might, I might actually try to get back into the text because I think this, you know, this is giving me the kick in the pants to do that. Um, but how can you get practical with it? Uh, maybe this, this summer is the time when we have a little bit more time on our hands, some of us. Uh, we, can, we, can, uh, we can really put down our roots and, and, and be blessed by God through it. Let me, let me pray for us. As the band's coming forward and uh, eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I actually want to give you an opportunity um, to receive what Jesus has done for you on the cross. If you've never received what Jesus has done for you on the cross, that he died for your sins so that you can have a restored relationship with God, everlasting life with him, you can receive him today. That's the good news. It's not getting your act together it's not being a better person, which, hey, that's, we all recognize those are good things. It's recognizing that ultimately we can't in our own power be the people that God calls us to be. And so Jesus sent his son to die for you, to bring you back into his family. Uh, that same student, disciple, John, said whoever believes in him, whoever receives him, uh, Jesus will give the right to become children of God. Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. If that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity to receive what God has done for you through Jesus. You can receive it by raising your hand today just as an indication of what's happened in your heart. I will see it. I will pray for you. But more importantly, God will understand, uh, see what's happening in your heart, receive you into his family. If you'd like to receive what Jesus has done for you, you can raise your hand now. Just a couple more moments. Father, thank you for being our living water, that we can come to you and never thirst again. Uh, please forgive us when we act more like chaff. Truth is, we're, more, we're, we're often blown around by circumstances more than we ought, ought to be. But thank you that we have your word to nourish us, ground us, and help us grow and bear fruit even in the midst of challenging life seasons. For those who are in challenging life seasons now, would you especially comfort them? And Father, would you help us as a church, individually and collectively, delight in and meditate on your word. Plant us firmly. And may you in us and through us bear much fruit to bless those around us. We pray in Jesus' name.